Hey family, I am here today with the one and only Mr. Matt Nightingale. He is super talented, super knowledgeable. I'm looking right in his face right now. He's also a great Twitter follow. So um, we'll get to that at some point in the uh, in the episode here. But I'll give him the opportunity to uh, introduce himself right now. Cool. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, my name is Matt Nightingale, and you can find me on all the social media at Matt Nightingale. Uh, <laughs> I am... I live in uh, Santa Rosa, California, which is just north of the Golden Gate Bridge by about an hour. Uh, I'm the co-pastor of a progressive American Baptist church in Marin County called The Quest, and I am a spiritual director. I do one-on-one spiritual direction, and I do support groups with an online organization called The Christian Closet, Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that (laughs) in a little bit. I'm also uh, the proud dad of four grown children. I can't believe how big they are. I have a 24-year-old son, uh, and he lives in Oklahoma and is married. And I have a 22-year-old son who is engaged to be married this September. And then I have twins who are 18, a boy and a girl. Um, And a lot of people know me because uh, even though I'm openly gay, I was married to a woman for 23 years. And... When I came out of the closet in 2016, my former wife and I were invited to do a TED Talk, and that has been seen a lot of times by a lot of people, and that's often um, kind of the first introduction people have to me and and us and our story. So I think that's kind of who I am. That's thorough. I can appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> no, I, it's funny because I, I know a lot about you. I say that, but I was like, I don't know a lot about mm. who you are, just about the things you've done. So I'm excited to chat cool. with you. And it's also really interesting because like I follow you on Instagram. So I get to see your life a little bit. So I, I kept wondering, like, how many kids does this dude have? <laughs> like every time you, you're like, oh, and my other yeah. son, I'm like, did he just keep going at some? There point? are four. No, but no, he. <laughs> No, I, I saw that one of them got got married. It was yeah, Joshua. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So Thank congrats you. on adding to mm-hmm. your fam. That's pretty yeah, exciting. Um, yeah. And one of them is like a super talented, like graphic artist or something. Yeah, too. just uh, that's my 18 year old son, Zachary. He is in AP art right now and he just has been doing a lot of cool work. He's a senior in high school, but he wants to do that for a living. So he's he's really talented. Yeah, I saw. I was like, man, killing it. <laughs> cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I know. Progeny. So so here on I'm Praying for Y'all, one of the things I think is really important is prayer. Clearly, I think prayer is powerful. I think it changes things. I also think it brings people together. Um, So we we always open, or I always open. I'm the host. I force people to do things with what we could be praying for you about. Like if there's anything that's been on your heart, I know coronavirus has made people feel a lot of things about a lot. Um, so that if that's something, or if you have a prayer on your heart or words that you'd like to share, this is the time to kind of lay that on the table, throw it all on the altar, mm. so to speak. I appreciate that. You know, I, I was thinking a little bit about this cause you kind of prepped me with that, that idea that this was coming, you know? And I just, I think I'm the thing that is always on my mind, always on my heart is this kind of intersection between, um, spirituality and sexuality. It's the the kids who are – a couple weeks ago, uh, like this closeted teen um, found me on Twitter and was saying that, you know, he'd never be able to come out to anyone. And he was talking about how he prays that God will bring a woman into his life, that maybe he can, 
you know, get married and hide this the rest of his life. That's literally what he was saying. And I actually put it out there on Twitter and said, hey, queer Christians, I need you to, to like encourage this guy. And it was so profound and beautiful, like the hundreds of messages that that came in. And I was able to share those with him. And he was so, so encouraged by that to the point where he like shared his first name with me, which was a huge huge step for him right he had never ever ever told anyone this big secret you know and so i don't know i just want to pray for closeted christian teens who who don't know what their future looks like and who are afraid and i want to pray too for for queer people who are married to straight people and who are trying to figure it out because this is a very real thing for for thousands of people um and they're always on my heart um, I, I work with people like that all the time. And so those are the ones I want to pray for today. I'll put it on my whiteboard. I have this huge whiteboard in mm-hmm. my bedroom of uh, <laughs> things and people to be That's praying awesome. for. Obviously, this has gotten longer as this pandemic oh, man, keeps going. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, but you know, I don't mind. Uh, but I think it's really awesome what you do. And that's why I brought you here. You kind of touched on a little bit um, is the topic of mixed orientation marriages, which Sounds broader and deeper, and I'm sure it is, right? Um, is, so I would love to have you kind of tell me a little bit about what that means, because I'm a little mm-hmm. bit ignorant. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what the feelings are the, of the queer people in those mixed orientation marriages, if they're staying, right. if they're going. So tell me a little bit about that, and then you can kind of tell me a little bit about your own uh, background in that, because I know that was something you walked through. Yeah, well, mixed orientation marriage just simply refers to uh, LGBTQ people who are married to straight people, typically, or or to someone of a different orientation, um, and there are, I mean, it's really hard to know how many of these marriages exist right now because so often the queer partner is closeted, m- maybe completely closeted. So so many of them never come out at all to anyone, um, and so. In my own experience, I was, you know, I was a gay kid, gay Christian kid, 10 years old when I knew I was gay. But in my world in northern Indiana in 1981, you know, it just was not a safe place for a for a gay kid to come out of the closet. You know, and I was in this kind of fundamentalist Christian bubble uh, school and church. And so I just, you know, hit it deeply for many years. My my thought was just like this kid on Twitter, I was going to carry this secret to my grave. That was absolutely my intention. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, I'm, there's lots of different, um, variations, I guess, on this theme, you know, there are some people who are truly bisexual. And so in a way they're able to feel fulfilled and, and kind of have that natural relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. And then there are some people who are really gay and they just kind of make, and that's what I would say about myself. I am gay. I'm not bisexual. And yet I was able to kind of force myself into this uh, mixed orientation marriage, married to a straight woman. Um, Yeah. So there's all kinds of different um, experiences. Some people know they're gay going into these relationships. Some people don't find out until later because they, uh, for lots of different reasons, Um, I've met a lot of people who kind of have a realization later on after they're married, like, oh my gosh, I'm gay or I'm a lesbian or whatever. And I, I am now in this situation and I have to figure out what is next for me. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really broad uh, term that encompasses a lot of different kinds of people. 
Yeah, man. I mean, that's. I think that's such a. It's a strange thing. I've had. I've had friends in the last four or five years who have come to late later in life realizations of sexuality, and what they've explained to me. Typically, well, at least for this specific person, I'm not going to paint with a broad brush here. Um, was that there was so much repression kind of going in uh, to marriage out of college and things like that. Because Christian evangelicals, I'll say that, marry really yeah. young. <laughs> For sure. Don't get it. Well, never get it. But <laughs> they do. And so for him, it was just that. Like, he pushed down everything sexually, whether no matter what the urge or temptation or whatever yeah. it was, and kind of held that deep and buried it. And as he was progressing through his marriage, he realized that he's like, oh, do I resent my wife? And like, these are all things you're just laying in front of me. And I was like, man, I don't know. Don't, <laughs> but he's like, well, or is it that I resent her? Is it because that she doesn't do it for me? Am I no longer attracted to her? And with Christians, there's a whole bunch of quote unquote dying to ourselves that we do. And so when you think like, oh, it's not that I'm not attracted to her. It's that, you know, I did something wrong or I've got to figure out what it is about me that needs to be fixed because it's clearly broken. And so he just said eventually he realized that it wasn't the fact that she wasn't beautiful because she is a gorgeous woman. You know, I've seen like I know her. Um, so it wasn't that the issue was that he just it wasn't the parts for him. It wasn't the pieces of the puzzle that he needed. Um, but it, it's 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 terrifying for me as someone who uh, I've never wrestled with my sexuality, really. You know, it's kind of something that came about. And it's something I hid, but I didn't fight it, and beat it up every day or harm myself to keep it hidden. It was something that I knew people would have a problem with, and I kind of did the opposite of what a lot of people do. I just did a bunch of research, kind of like the Matthew Vines way of it. It's like, I need to figure out a biblical case for this, or or if the Bible really says what it says. And so my heart really aches for people who have dealt with that and have dealt with so much pain because they had to keep it down. And I was kind of able to break mm. free around 18, 19. So that is, that is luck. But yeah. Ah. But I would like to hear a little bit more kind of about you. Right. So you said growing up in Indiana, you know, in the 80s. Yeah. 80s? 19. No, I, I was born in 71. So in 1981, I would have been 10. And that's kind of when I realized this about there myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, yikes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Are you familiar with Kathy Baldock at all? She's no. Yeah, absolutely. She's a she's a remarkable uh, writer and researcher. And she knows more than anybody I know um, about kind of the history of the relationship between evangelicals and the gay community and kind of how that kind of unholy union of like right-wing Republican politics and evangelicalism kind of has, has been such a driving force in American culture over the last, you know, 30 or 40 years. She was talking to me not so long ago and she said, Matt, I feel really sorry for people who are your age and who kind of grew up in the 80s, like kind of came of age sexually in the 1980s in evangelical Christianity, especially because, man, that was just like the, the that was the Reagan years. That was the denial of HIV and AIDS. That was the demonization of all non-straight people. That was when kind of the Jerry Falwell and the religious right became a real driving force in American politics. So it was just a terrible time to be a gay Christian kid you know, in the early 1980s. And I remember even just kind of the stigma of it. Like I, I remember having the realization that I, that this is actually what I was. Right. I think I had heard on the yeah. playground that day, somebody used the word homosexual and, and it 
just dawned on me. Like I, I had always known I was different, but I didn't really know why, or I didn't have a label. And that day it was like, Oh, that's what, that's what this is. But I, man, in that moment, I just knew I had to keep it under wraps. Like this could not, could not be a thing. And I remember just the shame and the fear of hearing about, you know, the homosexual lifestyle in church or, or even like if I remember, you know, uh, Culture Club and Boy George was kind of a thing back then. I remember seeing this kind <laughs> of, uh, you know, ambiguous uh, person singing and dancing and, and feeling this odd, like, um, not attraction really, but like a like I was intrigued by this because it's different, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was compelling yeah. for me. And but then to hear what like my parents or others would say about this freak on tv you know what i mean and so it was this uh i had a lot of those kinds of experiences for sure back in in those early 80s when i was kind of coming of age and and figuring this out about myself yeah i always tell people the funny story of so i grew up kojic and if anybody doesn't know what kojic is google it (laughs) i don't i'm not explaining everything because there's a lot you can go on all night Uh, (laughs) but and so kojic they they're all about kind of telling it how it is and but in that walking in that line, you tend to hurt people's feelings and they don't seem to care. Right. Cause you're doing it in quote unquote love. And so there'd be a lot of words. They would use the word homosexual. I'm not like my pastors were never hard up on it. Like you, you can always tell like the, the mothers and the elders of the church would talk about certain people in the church. Like, cause you always know when there's a gay right, now, yeah. like if you look in black churches, <laughs> like so-and-so with the big bow ties or the, the tight curls, you're like, well, how family. about, you know, you know, you. How about all the choir directors <laughs> and all the organists and all the musicians? You know, uh, all of them. But that's yeah. the thing uh, is that every choir director, every worship leader, like you knew that they had mm-hmm. a secret. Um, but I never knew what that was. I just knew they were like special and different and like flamboyant and effervescent and excitable, and they were just the best part of yeah. church for me. And so when sometimes the pat like the pastor would use words like sissy, mm-hmm. which I hated because I just knew it was an insult. I didn't know where it came from. And then they would use the word homosexual. So growing up, I'd hear that and I'd feel so bad for him. I'd be like, man, I don't know what these homosexuals, <laughs> I pronounce homosexuals. <laughs> like, I don't know what these homosexuals are doing, man, but I hope they get it together. Cause I'm thinking it's somewhere up there were like rape right. and murder. Like I'm thinking they're like yeah. killing people. And he's like, <laughs> and then one day, I can't remember how old I was. I want to say I was like 11 or 12. And I'm, I feel embarrassed that I didn't have the vocabulary, but. They were like, yeah, you know, them gay people. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. I was like, they're t- they've been talking about me this entire time. I was like, I didn't realize they meant the same thing. It was like, I was, I felt stupid, one. But then at the same time, I was like, oh, right. no. Like, I'm thinking, I'm like, these things are not, those aren't character traits that I carry. But I must. Mm-hmm. Like, I must have these underlying predatory criminal like things waiting to bubble up when I turned 17 or something. So it was, it was, it was definitely an interesting upbringing to kind of be walking in it and not knowing that people were secretly shaming you, Um, but it openly secretly. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. Oh man. But tell me, tell me about, we can, we can fast forward a little bit if you'd like. So tell me about meeting, you know, or not even meeting. Let's talk about, you kind of walking in that, right? So now you realize this is something that I can definitely not share with someone. I'm carrying this to, right. you know, till they put me six feet under. Like, so come tell me about the, the kind of, 
I don't know what, the, what you call it, kind of the you relenting and saying, fine, I'll marry a woman. I'll do it the right way, quote unquote. Like, how did that yeah. happen? Well, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't really relenting for me. It felt like it just felt like what I was supposed to do, you know, and, and that's what, man, if you were a good Christian kid in my church in northern Indiana in, in the 1980s, that's what you did. You get married, you have babies, you whatever. And I, on top of everything else, had this, I, I was a really spiritually sensitive kid and I really deeply loved Jesus. And I had this, um, I don't know, kind of a, I was very extroverted. I was a good public speaker. I was the youth group president. I was the worship leader. I was all those things. And I really had a, uh, like a, a real call to ministry. I really felt like God wanted me to be in ministry. I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I, I wanted to serve Jesus with my life. And uh, so I went to a Christian college. Um, well, and I should say too, like I, I did date girls through high school. Um, not a lot. Every now and then I would like, you know, I went to a tiny little Christian school anyway. So it's not like I was able to kind of pass because like a lot of us weren't dating, right? We were all friends. We didn't really date each other. And I had such a small little world that, that it, I could, I could get by without people thinking it was weird that I wasn't dating girls. And so occasionally I I did, you know, or I, and I kind of would have these crushes on girls sometimes, but it wasn't the same. I mean, it wasn't like a, a full on attraction. It was more like, Oh, I really like her. She's cool. We have fun together. And I was the boy who like could talk to the girls. In fact, I kind of preferred to like sit with the girls and chat rather than try to play basketball or something, you know, cause I was never like the, the sporty kid either. So, you know, and, and even in those little, very, very, you know, short lived dating relationships with girls, I, I would, you know, I would try to, kiss a girl and just to see what it would be like, you know, and, and it was always, um, less than satisfying, but, but I did it anyway, you know? And so, and I think so much of, of what we are taught, certainly in, in kind of evangelical or fundamentalist Christianity is to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, right? So it's, it's not about what you want or need. It's about what you should do, period. So I right. did it, you know, I like dated girls and, I went to college. I, I dated a couple girls in my freshman year, you know, just really for like, I don't know, three weeks, you know, <laughs> that would be it. That'd be my big relationship, you know? <laughs> yeah. <good> um, <laughs> and then when I was a sophomore, uh, my wife showed up on campus and I was actually in a touring music group with her brother. And so I was close to him and uh, I don't know, we, we like, we started hanging out in, in groups with other people we had a lot of fun together. Our, our senses of humor were very similar. Our, our desires were similar as far as like future and ministry and music. And she could sing and I could sing and we did duets together all the time. And we were on tour together all the time. And it just, it, it felt like, like I, I didn't, I didn't marry her. I tell people I didn't do this like to cover up. Right. I, I, and I wasn't being malicious. It wasn't like that at all. It wasn't like, I'm like, ha ha ha, here's my evil plan. I'll ruin this woman's life. It was right. more like, well, I don't know. I'm supposed to be a godly man. I'm supposed to get married. I, I always wanted children. I was really good with kids. And I thought, I want kids of my own. And, and here's the way you do that, right? So I started spending more and more time with her. Um, and at some point, it was like, you know, if I can marry anybody, maybe I can marry her. And so I, I just kind of kept going through the motions 
all the way to the altar, you know? I mean, I don't think I've ever put it that way before, but that that's kind of how it feels, you know? You just keep going. And, and every step along the way, I would be thinking like, oh my gosh, can I do this? Can I go through with this? Well, I, I guess so. I'll keep doing this. And, and I was the kind of kid who all through high school, all through college, I was not acting on this. I was not like, you know, I just wasn't. Um, I was terrified of my sexuality and I, um, I prayed all the time. God, take this away from me. I memorized, you know, boatloads of scripture, Romans, you know, just like, uh, take this away from me, God. And, and so I, I was actively trying everything I could do to suppress and to minimize and to escape. And, and I thought part of that would be to do the right thing, right? Marry a woman, do, do what I'm supposed to do. And everyone around me was celebrating it and saying, yes, absolutely. And, you know, you're talking about how evangelicals get married young. Man, at my Christian college in 19, whatever, 91 or 92, that was the that was the ethos. That's what you did. All of our friends were getting married. All of our friends were having kids, you know. So I just kind of signed up and did that. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, like hearing myself say that, you know, I, I know it's a lot, but also I want to be clear because I really try to be honest about all of this stuff. Like it wasn't bad. Yeah. It's not like it was so bad. You know, some people experience this and it's like torture for me. It wasn't like that. It was like, I don't know. It was exciting. And, and I, I did love her. I did care deeply for this person. Um, I, we had, um, similar goals. We wanted children. We wanted a ministry life. And, and so I don't know at the time it, even though I knew I had the secret and I was afraid of people finding out and I was afraid of somehow not being able to be the husband I was supposed to be, I kept moving forward, trusting that God was going to take care of us. And, and even in kind of the hiding that I was doing, there was still joy. There was still good times. So I want to be clear about that, that it wasn't this torturous thing. It was like, yeah, it, fe- it felt kind of like what I was supposed to do. And I was having a good time. Uh, as much as I could in that situation. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. Uh, one of the things I always say, I use, I bring it up with my youth group kids um, all the time, um, is one, there's two, well, there's two pieces to it that everyone can have, it's okay to have vision, right? Without vision, right. people perish. You need to be able to see what you're doing, what you where you're going. Um, but not always is everyone that is with you or the platform you're currently on uh, the vehicle for mm. said vision. Right. It's not always going to be that. Um, so you might get there, but it will it carry you all the way, you know, the oil changes <laughs> right, and all the things, you know, is it maintained right. well. Um, but the other side is figuring out what you're made for and what you're mm. built for. You know, they're not the same thing. Um, I use myself as an example. Like I'm a, I'm a really broad, sturdy dude. And it's like I'm built to move furniture. I could do that. I'm a, if you ever need to move, I'm a great guy to call if you feed me pizza, <laughs> right. right? But like, but that's not what I'm made for. I hate manual labor. I would never be happy doing that every day. I was like, a table is built to hold things, to keep things on a flat surface, but it's made to withstand weight and yada yada and to be straight and all these things. So like understanding what you having the certain parameters, but also knowing what's going to edify you and fulfill you mm, is two different yeah. things. And so you can enjoy, you can love people dearly, friendships too, right? And it still not be what you need at the end yeah. of the day. So, no, I appreciate you being honest about kind of how you got into it. Because I never thought 
there are some people where it's you pick someone and I've, i have friends like this who have told me the horror stories where they've picked someone specifically because they know that they're damaged and hurt and it'd be easy for them to love on someone because they yeah. need someone and that is malicious and that right. is not okay but you were you loved this you loved this woman and you guys were building and creating together which is yeah. a bonding thing and you know so i can appreciate that um but even so right so that ended clearly you said 2016 you came out so i've heard a little bit of your story i've listened to you other podcasts but this is mine <laughs> so i have to yeah, ask you to do it again so at some point you know you start the wheels start turning in your mind and in your heart that you know this isn't said vehicle Right. So like, how, how did you manage that? How did you navigate that? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a really long, long process. And I I know people who kind of accelerate this (laughs) and it's a much faster thing, but for me, it was, it was an incredibly long journey. And, you know, when I first got married, it was continuing to hide. It was, it, it was very much like, keep up appearances, do the right thing. Um, we had a son, you know, two years into our marriage. We had another one like four or five years into our marriage. So, and, and, you know, I was working all the time. She was working all the time trying to like get started in life. And, um, so, but, but that whole time for me, it was like hide and deny and just keep this under wraps and keep, keep fighting it, keep fighting these temptations, keep fighting these things. And, and it got harder and harder. I, this is not a secret at all, but early on in my marriage, I had my first like sexual encounter with a man. And that's one of my deep regrets, honestly, like looking back, I, I cheated on my wife and and it was a very like small thing. It was like two days out of my life, you know, but I mean, it had a significant impact because it, it was a cheating on my wife B it was with a man. And so yeah. I was like, so honestly, like I, I didn't even enjoy it at all. Like it was very full of fear and guilt and, um, wow. it was just very transactional and very, you know, not pleasant to be honest. It, it was very like kind of horrible. Right. And so, so then I was living with the guilt of that, this horrible guilt of having cheated on my wife. And, and I just thought, I literally like this is back in the early nineties. Right. So I even had like these irrational fears about getting AIDS. I thought God was going to punish me. I mean, for a couple of years after that, I, I literally would be afraid of like, what if, what if, what if I have a disease because of this? Right. Um, and, and so, yeah. And, and I, I was, uh, more and more kind of getting tempted by pornography and using that. And, and to me that felt just really wrong and bad. It was kind of like this, uh, this, like uh, I was this kind of raging gay sex addict on the inside, but then on the outside trying to keep up appearances and be like this good Christian husband, father guy. And so, Oh, it was, it was, it was really exhausting. And I lived with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt over all those things. Um, and at the end of every day I was home, I was, you know, trying to do the right things. So I couldn't live like that for very long, right? I did that for eight years. And soon after our, our twins were born, this, this was our last children, right? So this is 2001. And I was, I was finally for the first time in a full-time worship pastor position in a large church here in the Bay area. 
And it was extremely exciting. Like, I mean, our church had a thousand people and I was leading worship every Sunday and it was, it was really cool. And this is like exactly where I wanted to be. And on top of that, I was really feeling God's presence. I was feeling very much, um, supported and loved by, by the staff of this church and, and by our friends. And for the first time in my life, I felt safe to come out to somebody, right? Because up to this point, it had been me and God and this one dude, (laughs) that was it. And so, and I was always living in fear that he would like out me too. That was another fear I lived with is this one person in the world knows this about me. And I kept, I kept thinking like, man, what if, what if he just like out of the blue, I hadn't talked to him in like 10 years, right? Or eight years. So I had this again, irrational fear of like him I don't know, calling my pastor and outing me or, or calling my wife and outing me or something, you know, not that he would do that, but it was just one of those fears that I lived with. So, yeah. So in 2001, like six months after our twins were born, I came out first to a close friend. Uh, and then he and I kind of like processed that for like a month together. And then finally I came out to my wife and, and then we kind of came out to my leaders at the church. Um, and I received all kinds of love and grace and acceptance. And, and I look back on that now with a lot of gratitude, but I think a large part of why I received that love and grace is because I wasn't coming out to come out. I was coming out to get healed. I was coming out to try to fix this thing. And, you know, this is the early two thousands. There was a lot of like even national press about like ex gay people and Exodus international. And yeah. And so I was like, honestly full of hope I, th- I thought man maybe i can change maybe because i knew that this was a sin right i knew this was bad but i thought if i can come out if i can tell the truth you know confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed that was the verse i clung to you know and so so yeah i came out and dove headlong into every possible like <laughs> type of healing ministry. I mean, it was prayer ministry. It was deliverance stuff. It was living waters, a nine month intensive program that I would go to every Thursday night for three hours. It was accountability groups. It was like marriage retreats. It was couples counseling. It was single, like me with a therapist. It was, uh, I, I got into 12 step sex addiction work, even though I'm not a sex addict, but I thought I was. And <laughs> so, yeah, for years I did that stuff. Like pretty intensely for like maybe three or four years. And then after that, like continuing, even though I wasn't, you know, as like every day doing it, I was still trying. I was still thinking it was sinful to be gay and and I needed to somehow, you know, make this work. So I I don't know. Those were complicated. Again, this is complicated, right? I don't have this hatred of those people and those programs, because at the time we were all very sincere. We were all very like just trying to do what we all thought was best, you know? And at the time it felt good. I was like telling the truth about myself. I was receiving like camaraderie and, and friendship and like grace and love. And, and, you know, here's these brothers in the fight with me. And even my wife, as painful and difficult as it was when she kind of found out the truth about myself, about me, there was something kind of sweet and, and uh, meaningful about the two of us fighting this thing together. Right. And so oh, it, yeah. it felt like we were doing God's work. We were doing the right thing. And all that whole time we're raising these beautiful four children. We're doing great ministry work in these amazing churches. So it was, it was a comp 
complicated thing, right? Um, to kind of have all this and, 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 and I don't know, just to be honest, to be fighting. Um, I didn't know back then what I know now, which is that stuff doesn't work. And there's actually nothing wrong with being gay. In fact, I'm natural and normal and healthy as a gay man, but I didn't, I didn't know that then. And it took a long time of kind of like living this out in community with other people and with my wife and, and trying to make it work. And then just like over a very long time, again, from 2001, when I came out to her to 2016, when I finally made the decision to leave my marriage and to come out publicly, that's 15 years, 15 years we did this together. Um, and there was not one moment where I was like, boom, I have to do this. It was a very long, slow process of, of slowly waking up and, and coming to these conclusions. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a lot to, one, a lot to lose, oh, right? Totally. Um, I think I, I define, cause everyone uses the word conviction in Christianity. Um, but what I like to, I, I use a different definition where conviction means that you are willing to lose things mm. behind it, you know? And so it doesn't, sometimes it's misguided conviction, totally. right? So sometimes you, if you're in that space of, you know, this is what I truly believe that I am broken sexually and I need to be fixed and healed and you're willing to lose mm. yourself, mm-hmm. you know, behind that, like what I know and I'm willing to leave that piece of myself behind. Then the opposite side is like when you finally realize that there's nothing wrong, I have to be willing to lose life as I know it. You know, my streams of income, the family that I have potentially, the community that I've built, like all these things I have to be willing to lose to live truth or to walk in truth. And is it worth it? Right. And conviction is that thing that pushes you to says, yes, go. Yeah. Um, one of the things I did want to ask, and I didn't think we were going to stay here, but I feel like we have to for a little bit. Um, is that like, I know that when I had conversations, like with my leaders at my church, they were very gracious, right? Um, because they just happened upon my queerness. It wasn't anything that I was even like secretive mm. about. Uh, <laughs> like, um, it was like years and years ago that I had a podcast. Um, I say years, it ended in okay. 2019. Um, but it started in 2016 and that's when they discovered it. Um, and I was speaking very candidly about sexuality, about, you know, things I felt strongly about socially. And so once they discovered, they had a lot of, they had a lot of questions about a lot of things. They were like, okay, so how sexually active are you? What are you talking <laughs> about? Right. To, <laughs> to like, okay, you're a bleeding heart liberal. We kind of figured that, but you're like openly bashing like Republican conservative ideals because they're trash. Sorry. <laughs> and like, they're, so there's all these things. And so when people came around me, part of it was that I was good for business, right? I'm good with the kids. Like I'm, I'm. I'm black in a white evangelical space. So I'm good for like pamphlets (laughs) and promotional material. And so there's all these things that kind of go into that, you know, and I'm fun. I'm a good time. But one of the things is that you said there was so much camaraderie because you didn't come out just to come out. You came out and you were quote unquote doing it the right way. Like you were married to a woman. So you were technically right with God, right? Like you weren't doing anything that was totally. Yeah. But but the question always is, is how do you, cause I didn't have this cause I'm a bull, I'm a bulldozer, right? I don't like, you can't keep me down. So you can't, you tell me, Hey, you have to do this. And I'm like, well, time to burn it all down right. and leave. But, <laughs> but for the, for the young people that we, you know, you offered those, those prayerful words for earlier and the young people who are like the side A, side B folks, like the side B folks who are coming out to their leaders spiritually and, 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 
more than more often than not, the stories I hear are not ones of walking in freedom and relationship. There's these ideas of where do I fit in here still? Like, you know this about me and you say you love me, but yet I'm hitting these walls of where I can, you know, where I can lead. How can I participate in the community? And so for you to already be there, you're a worship pastor, um, right? Red flag already. You're a worship <laughs> pastor. There's lots of reasons. Um, I'm, sometimes I'm like, how did people not know? <laughs> Come on. You were posting all those those pictures of you from younger years. And I was like, people didn't know, Matt. I'm joking. It, it was the pants and the hair. I'm like, I would have right? pulled that out right away. I'm like, I, yeah. I, I joke a, about, like, I literally at 12 years old was like riding my bike to the library to get Broadway cast albums and Barbara Streisand records. <laughs> I'm kind of like, come on. See, the bad yeah, shit. Come it. on. Yeah, your mom should have been I'm like, in, oh. I'm in my <laughs> the so people, people who need people, you know, come on. <laughs> come on. There's so many flags <laughs> and parents and people yep. ignore it. But for you, I, I think that's, it's so interesting that. You had you walk through like you said you got brotherhood yeah. and community and people yeah. came around you, and so I want to know kind of just a little bit of what those conversations mm. felt like, because one I think I was talking to I don't know if you've listened to them but you should they're great guys Jake and David at the Refreshingly Honest mm. Christian podcast they're okay. fairly new, um, but they're these two straight white guys from Oregon who are like trying to figure out faith. Um, they've left ministry and stuff too, so they're like they're in their weird spots. <laughs> sounds but, sounds um, <laughs> like a podcast I would like. But no, we it, it, they definitely are, and we were but we were talking about like narrative porn. I recorded with them, and it's not up yet. But and then like people love hearing how terrible other people's mm-hmm. lives are, and so sometimes people come around you just so they can be like, man, you know, me and my wife argue and drink too much, but at least I'm not mad, and I'm not I don't know your that's ex wife's name, but Sarah, right. like right, like maybe yeah. I like throw her name up there, like that. So you know, so it's like. So how did that work? Did you find that was a true community or was it people that were just interested, people trying to keep an eye on you? Because I've had that happen as well. That's a good, that's a really insightful question. And I think, um, I think there was probably some of that, you know, I I definitely agree that like (laughs) my wife and I used to sit in church and we would just roll our eyes so hard when like the the pastor would be talking about like his anger issues or like his, how his wife, you know, just drove him crazy about her whatever. And we'd be like, Oh, please, you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like really that, that happened a lot. And we would kind of be like, what in the world? So I, I, I do think there was probably some of that people like, well, at least we don't have it. At least I'm not married to a gay dude, you know, (laughs) or whatever. Um, And in fact, that, that made our, our relationship difficult because, I was always, always, always being, being an extrovert, being an Enneagram seven, being an ENFP and a, and a verbal processor. Like to me, when I started coming out, it felt so good. Even back then it was like, ah, I finally can express the truth about myself. Right. And so I wanted to come out to like everybody. I would have been so happy if I could just like come out of the closet, but, but I had to kind of stay in because I was still married to this woman and and she right. did not want, you know, she didn't want to be the the wife of the gay man. That was really, really painful for her. And but she did understand that it was important for me to to find community, to find help and whatever. So she was willing to to kind of like let certain people in, right? But over the years, as as that number grew and grew, it was increasingly painful for her to even walk in the door of the church because she would be like, Who knows? Who doesn't know? What are they thinking? How are they judging me? 
you know? So that was really difficult. I, d- I will say that like some of our community was very authentic and real. I mean, we had dear friends who, who would do anything for us and they genuinely, because think about the narrative, right? I am laying down my life. I'm right. doing the right thing. I'm sacrificing for, for my, my wife, my children, my ministry. And they, that was a beautiful yeah. story, right? It was a beautiful story that our denomination and our church loved because it was like, oh, and our, our pastor would say things like, I'm telling you, Matt and Luann, her name's Luann, it's okay. We did a TED Talk together, so yeah. Should you know, I it's okay. it out? <laughs> um, you know, they, they're, they're my heroes, man. The way they are living this out, they're they're incredible people. And that was, that was encouraging for us to hear, right? And we liked to be able to be inspiring to people if we could be. Um, and like, when this happened, you know, I, I was amazed that I was able to stay in ministry. I was able, like, even my denomination, we took this all the way to like the head of the denomination because people along the way would be like, well, I feel like, like I, you know, I come out to my pastor. He's like, this is great. And I support you and love you. And I think you can stay in ministry and I'm going to walk with you through this, but I can't, I don't have the authority to to do that. So I need to take this to the superintendent, right? So he and I went to the superintendent and tell her, and then she's like, this is amazing. And I'm totally with you and I'm praying for you and I'm, we're going to do this together, but I need to take this to my boss, you know? So it kind of kept going up the chain right? until like I became basically like the poster child for, even though not everyone knew the story, all the denominational leaders did all the you know, and so it was kind of like we were the poster children for like how a Christian gay man can can like lay down his life and do the right thing and get the help he needs and not act on his sinful impulses. You know what I mean? So I kind of became this like example. And and even, um, you know, people would come out to me sometimes and, and we would like be and I, I and you know, at the time back when I was still side B, when I thought it was wrong to to act on my sexual orientation. I was happy to be that guy for people. I wanted to to walk with people and encourage them and support them. And, you know, so it, it is, it's is complicated, right? There was real relationships and real support and encouragement and camaraderie. And then there was also some weird stuff and fake stuff and, and people who kind of probably used us for their own purposes. Yeah. I know one of the things it's I was never, I've never been married. So just a little bit of background just for you, since we're already chatting about it, right? So one of the things that I, um, sorry, um, one of the things that I was really kind of walking in, especially in recent years, because I'm deep into ministry yeah. at this point, and <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> um, but because it, it, because the truth is that the further you get, like one, the smaller a room, the harder it is mm-hmm. to hide, right? And I go to this mini mega church out here in Connecticut. Like literally, like twenty five hundred people across like the yeah. campuses, like every week type vibe. And our flagship campus has the huge building with the coffee shop in it, and all the prayer rooms and the smoke machines and the lights. It's everything you see. Like it could be an elevation or a hill song if we we really right. want it to be. Um, but we have another mega church in the state that's Grr. like <laughs> competition, <laughs> right? <laughs> but um. But no, so like one of the things I was always dealing with um, is one, like they know this about me, right? And my pastor was super gracious. And I was like, well, I'm just so you know, not trying to be fixed. Like immediately, like laid it all on the table. Like I'm letting you know right now that I'm going to shake the table. I don't expect to be healed, delivered, or set free from anything because I don't feel like I'm bound. You let me know where you want me to be because I would gladly step down from all the ministry I'm doing, right? 
And so part of it is that being a youth leader, I'm young. And so kids react differently to me. I'm black. And so I, I, my campus is in a big city. So mm-hmm. I'm relatable for that, for those yeah. reasons. Right. I was a foster kid. Um, so it's like, but again, that's why I was saying, I'm like, you're good yeah. for business. Like you are it. And so for me, I was always wondering, like when people find out, like, what is their reaction mm-hmm. going to be? Mm-hmm. Right. If they, they, they find this out of me, which it's not a secret. Like it's things that people talk about. Like when kids come out, they send them to me. Like, but it's like, if it was like a mainstream fact, everyone knew that Charnel is queer and like, where, where do you go from here? Like, does he need to be leading worship? Does he need to be with the kids? Um, and so I've always wondered, and I didn't want to be for you. This is where the question comes in. Cause I've never wanted to be an example, right? If I'm going to be an example of anything, it's how gracious the kingdom of God is yeah. supposed to be. Right. And how Christians are supposed to be loving and feel free to do the, you know, the wheat and the tares conversation. Right. But as far as like your story and you being held up as this bastion of, of yeah. faith and Christianity and hope and idealism and conviction, like, were, was your story ever used to harm someone? You ever think, like, did you ever like feel that or see that happen where someone's like, well, if you look at Matt, he's mm-hmm. doing it. Like, did you ever like get you weaponized? That's a really good question. I I'm thinking back and I, I can't remember I can't remember anything happening exactly like that because because at that time, again, I was so on board and I loved the idea that I was helping yeah. people. I loved the idea that I could be an example and a and a encourager and a, a brother for the journey, you know. So I I but but yes, looking back sometimes, I, I think about those relationships. I think about the gay people. I never, you know, thankfully, I never encouraged a gay kid to get married, right? I never like, I never told people they should do that. I was always, I think I was always kind of moving toward being a more progressive liberal person in even in regard to kind of sexuality stuff. So so I was always like the the compassionate, like I still had my side B ideals, right? But I was very much like, but we have been awful toward gay people and we need to be more gracious and we need to be more loving. And so I was always that guy who, like even for our straight pastors and stuff, <laughs> I, I jokingly say like, after I came out, they, they would always call me. I mean, anytime there was like a gay emergency, pick up the rainbow phone and call Matt, you know, it was like, so it was like, I mean, even after I left you know that, that church, you know, those pastors would still call me, you know, years later, oh my gosh, one of the youth group kids came out, Matt, what can, what can we tell him, you know? And I was always saying like, grace, love, like, this is not going to send this kid to hell. You need to be, you know, so I was I was definitely more on the kind of like more liberal side of things, even though I myself thought it was sinful for me to to act out on this. Right. And I and I would it was it was hard because I had these biblical, quote unquote, convictions about sexuality and marriage. But my heart was always toward like grace and like let people be who they are. And I couldn't imagine like a happy married gay couple was like bound for hell. And you know what I mean? I just I couldn't. <laughs> But I knew, or quote unquote knew, that for me, that would be wrong. That would be sinful. That would be bad. You know? So I don't know. I I do, I suspect that my story has been used over the years to, to as a weapon, as you said. I, I think that that's probably true. And and I wonder sometimes now, you know, for almost four years out, 
how do those same people talk about me now? Because I was the example. I was what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and now I'm like the black sheep, you know? That's one of the reasons why I've always, <laughs> I've always been such a yeah. boat rocker is because I've never wanted my story to be used in a way that I couldn't mm, spin yeah. it. Right. So they can't be like, look at Charnel. They're like, if you look at, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> because I think it's one, I think it's nice to rock the boat. Right. I think it's nice that I don't think, I think any, what's the cliche, any faith that can be tested can yeah. be trusted. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like these are the times where the church really gets to show its true colors and where its heart really is and where um, its belief in love really is and what love is. Um, I, I said it in like the little intro episode of praying for y'all um, is I've been, I was directed like back towards first Corinthians 13 for some reason, like a month ago, and it's like the whole passage about love and what it is. And, and the one thing that always stuck to me is that love is kind. And I think people conflate niceties, mm-hmm. like being nice with kindness, and they're not right. the same thing. Like, nice is like this performative aspect of kindness, but it's not its entirety, where kindness is beneficial and helpful and forbearing. There's all these things about mm-hmm. kindness that love has to be in order to be yeah. love. And so when your initial reaction is to combat and beat down things out of people, that's fear. Like, that's not love. Like, it's not helpful. And I think the other issue is, and I think this is, we're going to come back to the the mixed orientation marriage piece, is like, what Mm -hmm. is the end game? Mm -hmm. You know, where I have my, and then what? Which my mom and my grandma used to say all the time, okay, and then what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know then you probably should right, do the first yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> like a little bit more planning, right? And so like the church is like, the reaction, the reactionary part is that, yeah, let's, you know, take Matt and throw him into living waters, which I would love to talk to you a little bit more off mic about. Uh, I've but, got stories. <laughs> like we'll throw him into, <laughs> right. I, I, and yeah. I love hearing them. So it's like, but where you throw people into these pools of despair and the church loves when people mm. are struggling and wrestling and breaking themselves yeah. to fit, right? That's where they. That's where they want to be yeah. close to you. And I was like, but is that helpful? Like, and then what? So after all this stuff happens, right? After this person has been beat to hell, basically, and they've lost community and they've lost self worth and personhood and dignity, and but what they are is mm. a puppet. Like, okay, and then what? Like, how are they yeah. edified? And if they can't date, like, how are they finding? intimacy right where churches i'm sure your church is great for it my church is not where they where there's like a singles kind of thing and but that kind of phases out because the hope is that you right. just get married and create right. your own little crew we'll take care right? of that and then you don't need us to take care of you right you can take yeah. care of each other and <laughs> but what do you do for the people who are those side right. b kids and the people that you beat the you you know you sometimes you beat the jesus out mm-hmm. of and they don't realize it and they're there, you know? So I'm, I'm, sh- I was like, it's just a weird, I don't know if that's a question more so than a pointed piece, but for you, you do a lot of work with people in mixed orientation marriages. You do a lot of spiritual advising, which, you know, is awesome. So have you found, like, have you found people who are in those spaces where they kind of are going the course because they feel like they've gone it too long? I've seen people bash and attack alan chambers on twitter for days and instagram because he's like i'm gay but guess what i'm staying yeah i love her and that's him yeah prerogative but so how like how do you address those people who you come across who are 
kind of for like just kind of burnt out like i don't have the energy to keep fighting this anymore how do they man there's you know like i said before there's so many different experiences so many different stories and everyone is a little bit different but there are some real you know common denominators and common pieces of those stories and so often the people that i work with the people who find me for these like i i run typically like a six-week support group for maybe six guys and we get together every week and we we share stories and and it's it's really about like helping these guys process their truth um speak that truth to other people sometimes for the first time and then like what's next right and i'm really clear from day one i'm like i have no uh no particular path that i want you to be on I am 100% convinced that some people need to leave their marriages. And I'm 100% convinced that some people are going to be fine if they stay in their marriage. Like they can do this in a healthy way. I'm a big fan and supporter of Alan Chambers. I think he's absolutely where he's supposed to be because I don't think that there's one narrative that fits everybody, you know? And, um, And there are people who cannot believe that a gay person can be like a gay man can be married to a woman and be healthy. And I understand that I do. And I say that that's really up to that man and his wife, right? If they are being a hundred percent open and honest with each other, if they are aware of kind of the sacrifices and the benefits of staying together and they make an informed decision to do life together in this particular way, I'm like, great, that's beautiful. If, because all relationships are going to have sacrifices and benefits, all relationships have their own kind of struggles and ups and downs. Um, And as long as, in my opinion, as long as both parties are, like I said, informed and know what they're choosing, then great, you can do that. But so often these guys come to me after like long marriages, like we're talking 15, 18, 23, 32 years, you know, and, and they're just now waking up and going, Oh shit. What, what now? You know, I hope it's okay that I said that. You can bleep it if you need to. Um, no, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> what it is. It's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And I've got children and I've got this whole life and I've got ministry and I've got whatever. And it's not easy for these people. Like there's always from the, from the left, from the kind of more liberal perspective, they, they just say, well, come out. You, there's no way to be a happy, fulfilled human being unless you come out. You have to come out. And that's the pressure that these guys are under from the kind of left side, right? And then, of course, they've had their whole lives. They've had the conservative side saying, like, you can't be gay. You have to be straight. You have to live in this marriage. You have to sacrifice yourself, blah, blah, blah. So they're often, when they come to me, at this incredible crossroads. And they really don't know what to do. And they feel so, so stuck. And that's how I felt, too. Um, I talk about a friend when I was like, still closeted, still trying to figure this out. In those last couple years before I came out, it was the most tumultuous time of my life. And I I met a friend who had been on this journey ahead of me by several years. And he asked me one day, how, how are you doing? And I said, I'm just treading water. And he said, well, that's fine. Treading water will save your life for a little while. But if you try to tread water, like indefinitely, you will drown. You will. You have to pick a shore and start swimming. Either pick the shore of I'm going to like stay and make this work and and try to be a healthy human being in this mixed orientation marriage or like strike out for the shore of I'm going to leave this marriage. I'm going to end it and we're going to try to figure out something different. And that's the advice that I give to these guys. Like 
you cannot just tread water anymore. And, but that's where most people, when they find me, that's kind of where they've, that's, that's what they've come to is like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know. And it's a, it's a, it's a real dilemma. Like it's real easy for kind of out gay people who've, who've been living this for a while to look at people like that and go, oh, those poor guys, they just need to like buck up and come out, you know, it, it, but they don't, right. they don't understand like what it's like to be in a marriage for 23 years. And and it's not all bad, right? There's this, there's a lot of beauty there. And there's, and especially if you like, I mean, my wife yeah. and I, we did this 15 years and part of the beauty was the struggle and being in it together and fighting together and, and all those memories and all those vacations and all those family occasions, you know, it's, it's like, it's just not, it's, it's not all all bad or all good it's a very complicated mixture for so many guys and and women of course there's women in this situation too um and yeah so it's it's just really complicated at that point right and it's like well now what now what and some people just need a place to express this and 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 they need like gay community around them to to be able to kind of like have that side of them to some degree fulfilled and able to come out right and then they can stay and they i mean i i in my most recent group i had a guy in his 60s who's been married for 40 years and i do sometimes think it's probably best for him to stay at this point really i mean i i don't know and again it has to be his decision right it has to be but i i understand a guy like that who stays i understand it and i don't blame him because he's like you know what this woman's been with me for 40 years. I, I, we have children and grandchildren together. We love each other and no, it's not perfect. And, and yeah, maybe I wish I had done things differently when I was 22, but I didn't. And so here we are. And sometimes when you look at the whole, you have to make a decision. And, and it's, I tell people when you get to this point, there is no one easy answer. You will, you will have to sacrifice whether you stay or whether you leave. And, and that's the complication that, that these guys come to. No, I think I think where you find them, I, it's it's an awesome place to be. Um, I think the story that always gets kind of misconstrued um, and I don't know, kind of miscast all the time in the Bible is the story of the man by the pool waiting mm, to be healed. Yeah, right. Where every like he's clearly been there for I don't even remember how long. It wasn't thirty years. How how long was it? I don't remember. But it was <laughs> a long time. I can't remember. Yeah, but it's late. It's been it's been it was yeah. there a long time. I'm a bad youth leader. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> And, but a 30, oh, it was the woman with the blood disorder. Oh, that yeah, was like yeah. 30 years, I think, or something like that. 33 years or 37 years, whatever. And, but it's, I think people tend to use that story to, to say like, oh, do you mm. want this? Like, oh, are yeah. you sure you want yes. to be healed? And though, and sometimes it's funny how God will lead you to a verse that you've heard a million times. And when you're in a new place and kind of God has led you to a different kind of dimension is what the Koji people would say. So new dimension in Christ that you'll read things differently. And one of the things I've always read from that is that when you look at, when you think about the, the story of the sheep gate and the pool there, and there's tons of ill people who were just laid there for months at a time. Like that's community. These, all these people looking for, mm, for wholeness, yeah. right. That can't help each other right. specifically. Right. Like they, like they know, like I'm, pretty, I'm sure they're passing food to each other. Like there's community happening yeah. around this pool where they're loving on each other. And, but at the end of the day, neither of them have the answer. Right. And so you keep the main thing, the main thing. So when you think about the pool where you're, you're like, I know what's there. I know what I, what 
should be from their wholenesses in the pool healed you know being healed and finding completion and somewhat consummation if you depends how you want to read it is in this pool and we start looking at our spiritual leaders as the person to get us in like if i can just Mm, get there then i'll be all right if i can just get to this and it's just never that and then you got like jesus with all power in his hand walking up to you like hey what are you doing here and you're like oh everybody else is making it impossible for me to you know and so when i when i think about that i think about these these queer folks who are one or they could be the single queer folks who are kind of stuck in this like i want this feeling of wholeness this fulfillment this fulfillment that i can't reach and i don't know why it's because i think that we kind of look towards other people to do it and i think that you are like this extension of kind of jesus Mm. in this moment where you get to be the person that's like, well, do you want this? And all right, so this is how mm-hmm. you do this. Like, this is like, it's by one, especially if it's in a spiritual advisory type vibe is that, you know, you need to seek God's mm-hmm. will for your yep. life. Yep. Right. Cause I do believe I, and like Alan Chambers was a weird thing for me because I don't have a visceral reaction to conversion therapy. Cause right. I never went through it, but I know it's terrible right. in some yeah. aspects. Right. Like some, some, cause not all conversion therapy was like destructive, you know, in, in its, mm-hmm. in its nature. You know, I don't know if the word, the correct word I'm using is it wasn't right. violent. Um, some of it was just like, we're just going to pray for you every week. And some of it is we're going right, to shock exactly. you and ask, you know, pervasive questions. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, like my own, my, my story of kind of all that, those years of kind of trying to, to be straight by all these different methods. I don't have the horror stories that some do like I, but I, but I believe them. Like I a hundred percent believe them that, yeah. that there's been some real awful, horrible things. And there are probably people dead today because of these methods, right? I believe that a hundred percent, but I personally don't have the story of like these horror traumatic stories. And so, and it's interesting, a lot of, a a lot of people who went through those years tend to be kind of like, it's, it's weird. I, I, I met a guy, um, about a year ago who had actually been at a live in facility in, um, uh, what's it called love and action in Marin County. And this is like the uh, grandfather of X game ministry, Frank Worthen. He had like a residential treatment center really close to where my church is now. And so this guy that I met had actually lived there for a couple of years, but he, and, and he's come out now and he's openly gay and he's at peace with his sexuality. Right. But he looks back on those years as really precious times. Now that that sounds horrible, right? It really does. But but what he experienced in that moment was brotherhood, camaraderie. Like let, that's how I talk about it too. Like those were exciting and good times for me because I felt very close to God. I felt like I was doing the right thing. I had people who cared about me and who were sincere. Now, I, I have to be really clear. Like whenever I say that, I know that that theology that denies the humanity of queer people and our relationships and our identities. I know it's toxic. I know it's harmful. I absolutely like denounce it as strongly as I can. And the reality is that some of us experienced that in, in a way that felt at the time like love and felt at the time like companionship and, and, and camaraderie. So that's all it's complicated. It's just not, it's not a simple yes or no, bad or good. That's all I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, that theology is wrong, bad, toxic, harmful, run away as far as you can. And some of us experienced it in different ways. That's all. 
No, yeah, I mean, it, it. we wouldn't be Christians if we didn't believe that God showed up in our darkest yeah. places and gave us yeah. a lot of light, right? There's so many verses in the Bible that speak specifically to David wrote a million psalms right. about how he was by himself and God showed yeah. him mercy and God showed up. And so I think that there's no there's no problem with looking back um, in some really trying times and being like, man, God really yeah. provided in ways that I didn't expect right. him to. And I think it's really awesome. I think being queer people, we, we see mm. all the nuances in that, that we, we can look for God because we've unpacked our faith oh, a man. million different ways yes. is that we can look and see God in all these different facets. And we, ex- we, it's almost not even like a, it's not a surprise. You hear like a lot of the, the big pastors talk about how God's going to do a new thing and it's going to be something you've never seen before, but it always is the same yeah. thing we've seen before. <laughs> it's just a different, you know, they just let a woman speak and so a woman said it. So it's like, Ooh, right, new right. beginnings. But for for us, like God always shows mm-hmm. up unexpectedly. It's like always these weird things. Um, I call I like I have this thing called spiritual crushes. I tweeted about it a few times, where there are people who like say awesome things and do great things. People who I would never think about right. listening to. Right, w- one of my best friends right now um, is a well, um, he's no longer, but in 2016 voted for the man that's in office oh, Lord. now. Right, and. Yeah, and we met kind of, it was just like this weird, unexpected, he showed up at my church a few Sundays, and because I'm an extrovert, and I'm kind of nosy, and I don't, I want to yeah. know new people, I was just like, hey, and now, like, this summer, if Corona lifts up, like, I'm going to be his best wow. man at his wedding, right? And yeah, and so it's like, what happens in those moments where, like, God shows up, and you, you we would not be friends right. if it wasn't for God. And we've had some really uncomfortable and not harmful, but painful sometimes conversations where, you know, you have to really feel each other out, but grace yeah. is good for that. And so I, I think that as queer people, we, we are always walking, um, these really fine lines and we, in order for God to really do what he needs to do for us in the spaces that we tend to be in, that it's gotta be this unexpected, like never before seen once in a lifetime moves. And so I, I think you, I think you are a little bit of a unicorn, right? Like there's, yeah, you'll say there's plenty of people that are like you, but clearly there isn't, you know, (laughs) because I, it's like like there, there's no other Matt Nightingale, but I would just say that I think what you do is awesome. I think what you do is necessary. Um, I'm glad, like I said, to follow you because I see you do a lot of awesome, very Christ-like things, right? Is to say, hey, someone's hurting. How can I help? And I saw that entire thread go down when you when you talked about the little uh, closeted teen, and I was like, I am not offering anything to that. Um, and it wasn't yeah. because I couldn't; it was just because like I, I was like, "There's more than enough." Yeah. God, do what you do. I loved that. Um, it was just beautiful to me. <laughs> no, it really, it really was. And I, but that's one of those unexpected things, right? Where like that wasn't for me, right? But it was for me. Like I, I saw that, and I was like, man, like that is love mm. being kind. You know, that is love, like doing what it's supposed to do. And when you, when you love Jesus in the way that a lot of queer people do, you know, and this really radical, non-conventional yeah. way, it shows up in those, in those where and people from across the country, like right now can talk and feel like yeah, brothers, totally. right. And it'd be like, uh, so it is, I don't know. I just think that, uh, you're, you're doing awesome things. And there are so many other things I was going to talk about, but. <laughs> We've been talking Sometimes. a long time, haven't we? 
Right. Some like I'm yeah. not going to go into them because I think it's more we've done more than enough. But is there anything that you want to add to this that you don't think we did say? That anything you want to throw on a little mm. sprinkle, a little hot sauce, hot sauce, hot fudge, hot, fudge. hot sauce. <laughs> uh, hot so- I don't know. I I think it's important to to remember. Like I I just always want in in everything I do to honor my former wife and to talk about just what a remarkable person she is and, and what a remarkable person she was to walk through all of that with me. Um, and I'm, I'm always clear when I tell the story, she did not want a divorce, right? I, I had, I made that decision against her wishes and that is painful and difficult uh, for both of us. Um, and, and she's, even though she didn't want that, right. She still has been a remarkable positive presence um in the world around us i mean to stand up on that stage and do the ted talk with me to to open her life up to that much scrutiny um to like she even though she didn't want a divorce she is a an ally she understands she's a you know progressive and and um inclusive in her own theology and she and i together raised these children who are awesome allies and great supporters and so i just have tons of gratitude and respect for her and i always want to be really clear about that even though i made this decision to leave that marriage she's a remarkable human being and i have nothing but respect for her um and then the other thing i wanted to say is that you know just back to that thread on twitter a couple weeks ago like yeah. it was interesting for me because not I was delighted to be able to to kind of watch him read those tweets in real time in a way you know like he was in my direct messages going like oh my gosh this is amazing so that was really it felt good to me to be able to do that for him but there was a part of me that was also receiving like I was almost looking at like what was I like at at 19 years old if I had had those messages coming into my little gay heart, you know, <laughs> in whatever, 1989, what, what a gift that would have been. And so I received those and it was good for my soul and my spirit even to hear all those beautiful messages of love and affirmation. So, yeah, I was grateful to be able to do that for him, but it also nourished my soul, too. Absolutely. No, I, I, th- I think it's really awesome. I don't know, man. The. The internet is a is a terrible place, but it's also a, ph- yeah. a phenomenally like loving and great place where you can find all types of community and convalesce and all these things there. It's it's yeah. so odd. Um, it's it's also like I said, it's it's got its it's got its For dark sure. sides, but it's nice to see. There's I don't even know who this kid is, but there's this I don't know this little gay kid. He just looks like a little gay kid in his image, but. You might know who he is. He's like the gay, like the gay Christians oh, yeah. do. Oh yeah, he's kid. he's who made quite he? a splash in the last know. couple of weeks. <laughs> right, yeah. like I don't know who he is. But he just came out of nowhere. He's about to become a superstar. <laughs> no he's our newest, he's our newest um, gay Christian celebrity on Twitter. <laughs> right. Well, there's I several. Know. You know, you 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 might be um, one of them. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, I think so. I feel like that. I feel like that. I feel wow. like qualified. Thank you. But I I still think it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I feel like you, I feel like when people mention, like, I remember asking, I don't remember who I was talking to, but it was like a year or two ago. Who was I talking to? It might've been Brandon Robertson. It might've been someone else, but I was like asking a month ago, like, do you know anybody I could like mm-hmm. listen to? You know? And 
they were like, oh, there's such and such, such and such. And they listed your typical ones that everyone knows, like Kevin Garcia and all of them. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's like Matt Nightingale. He's like an older guy. And I was like, okay. Um, and so I was like, I went through the list. And it's like sometimes you'll hear stories that are that are good stories, but they're not, but they've mm, been done yeah. before, you know. And you hear stories all the time. They're more scandalous of uh, you've got like the Kim oh, Burrell, yeah. if you know who that is. Yeah, who's like husband is like, oh, okay, he's gay now. And home chick from uh, How Stella Got a Groove Back, who, who wrote that story? Was oh, Terry yeah, McMillan. Yeah. Um, who's like, my husband came out as gay and I hate mm-hmm. everybody now, you know? Like, you hear those scandalous stories and it's like, well, that's right. unfortunate that one, everyone's airing everyone's dirty laundry. and But then you hear the stories of like this, where it's this this fight to stay mm-hmm. together where it's like, there's so much love. And one of the things I will applaud you on is that no matter where I've heard you talk about it or hear, seen you write about it is that you've always been a champion of your, your, you use the word former wife. Yeah, so I'll you. use that your former wife where you always, where you're always saying, but yeah, she is incredible or she is phenomenal. Or you'll on Instagram, you always say like, how blessed am I yeah. that I get to, you know, which is such an awesome place to hear someone. Cause mm-hmm. that's never the, the context that you get it's always this angry we hate each other he stole 20 years from me and you guys can look back at what you've built and it's not even like you've destroyed anything it's just Mm, adding additions now and like all your kids are doing awesome things so i feel like you guys Mm. succeeded and it gives it gives people even if people who aren't being you know who aren't marrying you know in a mixed orientation marriage but it gives those people you know, hope that, yeah, you can still have relationships yeah. with people who don't necessarily um, can fit the vehicle mm, for your mm-hmm. vision, but are still yeah, along for yeah. the ride. So I think it's, I think you're awesome. Thank you so much for chatting. Yeah, it's with my me. pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I guess, I guess that's the end of the conversation. All right. um, yeah. But if you want to, um, you can feel free to share your social medias again. Uh, if they miss it in the beginning, if you have a website, throw that there. Do what you got to yeah, do. Yeah, so follow Come me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Matt Nightingale. I pride myself in always getting the first, like, of my name. <laughs> I I have a friend you. who's also Matt Nightingale. He's a comic up in Canada, and we met because we have the same name, and we we joke about how I always get it first. I think he has one first. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, oh, man, I missed my chance. Um and then, yeah, mattnightingale.com. Um, my church is questnovato.com. And I highly recommend the work of The Christian Closet also. Candace Zubernot is the founder of that. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is a lesbian, married to her wife. They have twins, and they're wonderful people. And I love doing work with them, spiritual direction and support groups. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, you guys go check out Matt. Double tap all his pictures. <laughs> hit follow like all that fun stuff like i said he's a fun twitter follow because he's always doing nice things i tend to spend my time on twitter being a <laughs> troll and laughing at the, the ridiculous stuff which the things i share people are probably like is he really a believer i, I promise you guys i am but <laughs> i'm just from the hood um but <laughs> so i laugh at stupid things but thank you so much again follow matt check like look at the ted talk about all his work is great he's also a really talented singer so go find videos of that somewhere. I'm sure they're on YouTube. There all are some, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, some, just some. Well, thank you, Matt. And feel free to say goodbye to the all people. Right. Talk to you later, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope this blessed you. Know that I love who you are, what you are, and why you are. And God does too. So until next time, I'm praying for (laughs) y'all. For real.